Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is the Slow Poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning. It's a hot horror planet. 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 Living in science fiction. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 77. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Attention comic book fans, Lee's Comics of Mountain View, California has closed. But here's the good news. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale, for half off. Choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-E. I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Letters, we get letters. Here are some more recent comments about this podcast. This is from Derek Hubbard about podcast number 73 with Michael Gerber. Great questions. Fascinating answers. Thank you for all your efforts. I've loved the American Bystanders since it left the gate. And the art and writing somehow get better and better all the time. And then a person named Logan commented, probably sarcastically, but I'll take it. Awesome video. It was really good. I want to be friends. Other than that, there is more progress on my Disney book and my Mad book and my four articles for Back Issue. Nothing new has been released since last time, but please support this podcast and also buy my other books. Our returning guest today has appeared in Mad Magazine and publishes his own humor magazine called Freaky. He is also an accomplished musician and has provided the opening and closing music for seasons two and three of this podcast. Here he is, Andrew the Slow Poisoner. Goldfarb. On the phone, we have the return of the Slow Poisoner, Andrew Goldfarb. How are you today? Hey, that sounds like a movie. <laughs> or a movie-making type of guy. That could be the that could be the sequel. Yes, 
This is a Return sequel. Of the Slow Poisoner. <laughs> yeah, so we just heard me, didn't we, in the context of the uh, edited program, yeah. where I introduced your listeners to uh, The White Man's Shrinking Dick, which yes. I've been doing for every episode of uh, your podcast. I gotta say, Mark, bold move on your part, man. <laughs> I wouldn't have... <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have expected that. Uh, has anyone commented on it that before every episode we've got a white <laughs> shrinking dick? <laughs> no one has commented on that. They seem to dig it. You know, I guess they just don't listen to the lyrics that closely. I don't know. Probably not. I don't think people do. But like in the context of your show, it's almost like I don't know. Almost like a statement about nerd culture or something. Well, that's part of the reason I picked it was um, out of all the songs. I think you gave me ten or eight or something. I don't remember the first time around. And I listened to them with Abby, and uh, we just sat there and went through them all, and uh, ultimately said we like this one the best. And you know, I knew about the lyrics myself, and then I said, "Ah, eh, screw it. Who, if you, if you're really offended, you'll let me know." But I guess now that we're talking about it, people go, "Wait, wait, what? What? What?" And then they rewind it back, and you know, they find out, "Oh, yeah, that does say dick in the title, doesn't it?" <laughs> yep, every week. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know if I should say this or not, but that was a reference to Trump. Yes. <laughs> and I think last time I we spoke. It was a couple years ago, right? So it's probably 2017 or 2018? Uh, well, I started the podcast in 2018, so it was probably okay. late 2018, early 2019. So, Gotcha. Yeah, because I know at the time I, I started to make some Trump references, and I think you were adopting a more mutual, uh, neutral standpoint to the benefit of you keeping your listening audience large. Yes. But um, looking at your posts online, you do have a political viewpoint, but maybe we don't get into that here? Oh, yeah, we can talk about it. I mean, the very first episode after, if you listen to episode two with Lee Hester, we get into the politics. He has the same polit- political view as me. You know, he thinks Trump should be out of there as soon as possible. So, you know, I just uh, don't uh, discuss it here because, you know, I don't know the political leanings of some of the people I'm interviewing, you know, and I'm not going to go into it, you know, where I'm, like, interviewing somebody, like, Example, and I, I don't know his political views, you know, but it's like uh, I just uh, interviewed recently. Um, oh, what was his name? Uh, Danny Fingeroth, and he, I knew of his uh, uh, work and everything like that. But I mean, it's not. And you know, we were talking about the Stan Lee book that he wrote, and I figured. Hey, this is great. Let's talk about this. I'm not going to go into so. By the way, what do you think of Trump? You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, and I think we're, we're kind of tired of talking about it. We've got new problems, which we can also discuss. Yeah. But I am always surprised when a creative person is conservative. And this might be my own bubble. This might be my own political leanings that kind of manifest as a rigid ideology. But it always surprises me because it seems counterintuitive to the nature of creativity right. to sort of want to go back right. to keep things like stable and you know men are men and women are women I, so I just kind of am surprised when like Dick Culpa you know expresses his views or the yeah. like, Dilbert guy uh, I'm always surprised <laughs> I was just yeah, so I know who I know who the conservative ones are out yeah. there. Yeah, and 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 I've interviewed a couple of them on this show, but you know we just are very careful not to discuss that. 
<laughs> you know, um, I won't name names, but, you know, there are a couple that are hardcore conservatives. They love Trump. They think he's a godsend and blah, blah, blah. He's clearing out the swamp, all the bullshit that you always think, oh, what? Are they even thinking about the same person? You know? <laughs> right. But the other thing that I find really strange that goes along with what you're saying about, uh, you know, creativity or whatever, you know, doesn't lean itself to conservatism, um, is people that are apparently highly conservative of all walks of life that embrace things that are arguably very liberal and things like that. Uh, Example, you know, even Trump himself, he loves to use that song by the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. I mean, the Rolling Stones are known for hedonism and drinking and carousing. Of course, Trump's no saint in that area. But I mean, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, but, you know, a lot of people are into that type of stuff that are supposedly really conservative. And it's like, to me, it's like, if you were really conservative, truly, you'd poo-poo all this Rolling Stones stuff and right. that uh, devil's music and all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you would listen to. You know, maybe like Elizabethan Maltzes yeah. or something. Or Pat Boone and Anita Bryant, that type of stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, good old, yeah, yeah. Good, old oh, Christian, good old Christian music only, you know, things like that. Uh-huh. You know? And, you know, so it's it's weird. That's all, you know. Yeah, and the you know, and it's uh, the the other thing that I found funny in the last three years is, and this is because I am working on a book about Mad Magazine, but I've always like posted the most recent issues of Mad, saying, "Hey, new Mad on sale." I've always been a proponent, as are you, of Mad, and. Uh, these people get all pissy because they make fun of Trump every issue and it's like well that's what mad does and they're gonna well why don't they make fun of Hillary well she's not the president that's why they don't make fun of Hillary and they have made fun of Hillary yeah Yeah. there's a great cover where she's uh Mad Max Fury Road. It's exactly, Hillary, yeah. I think. And if um, she had become president, we would probably see a dozen covers with her on it by now. <laughs> you know, but uh, people go, oh, I remember, I like Mad when it wasn't so liberal. And I go, when was that? 1951? You know, it's like, it's always been, you know, uh, you know, liberal or whatever. You know, they think it, you know, it suddenly turned, you know, liberal in recent years. And I've had to cite examples. I said even Harvey Kurtzman did things against uh, McCarthyism and stuff way back in the comic book days. So it's like it's not a conservative-leaning publication. It used to make fun of Nixon. I mean, it did make fun of Johnson and Kennedy and everybody else, but, you know, it's always... really, really hard on the hippies, though. Yeah. So you got to give them credit for being equal-handed there. I think some of the best... Uh, mad magazines are from the late 60s when yeah. they're just mocking hippie culture and before that they, they tackled the beatnik culture right. uh, in the same way and that's just so ripe for humor. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm kind of a hippie myself and hippies are ridiculous. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just comedy gold. Yeah. Apparently Bill Gaines was a conservative guy, that's what people say, but I think these things meant something different 20 years ago. Yeah. It wasn't this kind of... I mean... Hell, most of us didn't even know really how politics worked, you know, until things got so ugly and divided that we started paying attention right. to, like, how, you know, Congress operates and stuff, because suddenly things were going so far south. Yeah. But there's a lot more middle of the road. I mean, the fact that the EPA was founded by Nixon and that uh, right. ecology was considered a form of conservatism at first, right. it was a different, you know... 
playing field. But uh, it was also interesting to hear Bill Morrison on your show, uh, the episode you just posted, where he was stating that they were consciously trying to go after kind of a more diverse um, audience that they were trying to bring uh, more, you know, uh, women and, and non-white, you know, readers into the fold, which isn't necessarily a liberal or a conservative idea, but that they were uh, expressly, you know, expanding yeah. its base in a progressive way. Right. <laughs> um, I still am sad that he couldn't continue on. I mean, at least another year or two. I don't know why they were so rushing him out the door, you know? it's like uh, I think it was all about money, right? I mean, that's everything oh, of course. Yeah, we've but... heard. All of this was all about money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to get one thing out of the way. I owe you an apology, Mark, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we hadn't hung out a whole lot uh, up till a couple of years ago. And I think I uh, sort of um, nonchalantly dropped that I was in MAD. And I had no idea that you had been um, trying to get into MAD for repeated, <laughs> you know, years. And then I just sort of waltzed right in. <laughs> it wasn't like that. And I didn't mean to uh, oh. come off as cavalier. Oh, um, um, yeah, well, it's not anything to apologize for. You also have some artistic talent, and you're always drawing comics. I kind of abandoned drawing comics years ago, so it's my own dumb fault if I just don't <laughs> pursue it as strongly as I once did. I just get have gotten upset with Mad, and this is where if I'm jealous, you know, it's like, I submitted a few ideas here and there, because I said, ooh, this is perfect for Mad. And then I get their form rejection letter, which I don't know if you've ever received a rejection letter. It sounds like you haven't. <laughs> but if you have, uh, the the typical rejection letter is a form letter that has, like, all these little check boxes. And uh, one of them says, we've done it already. Uh, one of them says something like, uh, we don't buy outside movie and TV parodies. And one of them says, it's not in the mad vein, and a few others. So I got I sent the one that you're going to use in your Freaky, uh, in the upcoming issue four, I think. And yeah. I thank you very much. And it's like, that was one that they said, not in the mad vein. And it's like, when I wrote it, I was having, I totally had Tom Bunker, one of those guys in mind that would do just do it perfectly, you know? Yeah, or even if Don Martin was still with us. Yeah, it was yeah. that kind of gag. Uh, yeah, and we've got uh, a mad artist working on it. Uh, yeah. Gideon Kendall, I believe is his name. He's okay. really, really great. So uh, as long as he makes the deadline, that'll <laughs> that'll be wonderful. Um, and if he doesn't, I will. So well, it's, it's only one good, page. So. I'm sure he will, yeah. <laughs> he loved your drawings, too. He said, uh, you know, he wasn't sure if he could improve on it. But he's got a very distinct style that I think is yeah. just sort of... No, I mean, mine's not way. a template for anything. If somebody can lay it out better, fine. If they can draw it better, fine. You know, it's like uh, I was drawing it just to give Mad an example, and I even said when I sent in my original letter, I said, hey, I don't need to have my drawing published. You can have one of your regular people draw it for you, you know, or whatever, or, you know... Yeah, you know, and I think now that I'm on the other side that I'm getting submissions for Freaky... Uh, which, if your listeners aren't aware, are, is a underground humor comic uh, mag that I publish that's uh, in an anthology format. But um, that's a good way to do it. I think it's good to have like it sort of laid out, you know, as if it is a comic. It's understood that these aren't the finished drawings, you yeah. know, so uh, people know what to do. Uh, it was interesting your conversation with Peter Bag uh, just the other night that sort of touched on that same subject and he was also 
um, saying that that's a good way to do it. You know, sketch out what yeah. you have in mind. And for the most part, that's the way I've always submitted things to Mad. Um, now, I never have, maybe I just don't make it professional enough, but I always put, a, like, a typewritten letter, but, I mean, I always have my actual example just on 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper, you, you know? Mark. What? Mark, I don't think it's you. Yeah. Um, I was really struck recently by something I read in Steve Martin's autobiography, and he was talking about auditioning for movies and TV. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it applies to anything like that. Yeah. That he thought the chances were slim just because whatever he was offering at the time would have to align to the taste of the particular editor or <laughs> you know artist that was reviewing the work, and it would also have to align with whatever project they were you know, getting going at that moment. So it's like all these kind of things need to align yeah. in order to get work submitted. Right. And probably, I think you've talked about this too, the way to do it is to just continuously do it, and eventually they get to know you and your work, and they get you in. Right. But I thought about this myself, because um, after MAD kind of went mostly reprint, I was thinking, well, should I try to submit to other magazines? And I did submit something to uh, The Bystander. But ultimately, I figured, you know what? I could waste, like, years just trying to get into someone else's publication. Right. I should probably just concentrate on my own right. so that I've got control over, you know? Yeah. And that's one of my hopes, uh, like, with the, the newsstand implosion. I think people that want to see magazines out there will create their own, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I invite you, since we're like a few weeks ahead on this, to listen to the next few episodes because there's like a lot of pandemic episodes and people talking about alternatives to like, uh, you know, Jeppy going out of business. I think it was Ed D'Angelini I interviewed recently and he was talking about that. Uh, What's that? Ed D'Angelini, uh, he does a comic strip slash comic book called Collectors and he owns Heidi Ho Comics down in Santa Monica. Uh, you mentioned something went out of business? Well, Jeppy's Jeppy? did. Jeppy's, though. What? I mean, Diamond Distributing. That's what. Oh. Jeppy owns it. That's what I should say. Oh, Steve well, Jeppy. they're not out of business, right? They're just not accepting anything right now. Well, uh, okay, we'll, t we'll take the high road <laughs> and say they're not accepting anything right now. But the way they phrased it, it really sounds like uh, they, they've, like, thrown in the towel. And it's really kind of weird. And so we're, we were talking about uh, that, you know, all the, uh, right now would be a perfect time for some young upstart to get in there and start uh, a different type of distribution system, you know. And well, I, I sure wish that would happen. There used to be more, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But plans and last gas. And things like that. When I started out doing comics, um, my experience with Diamond was terrible. And yeah. it wasn't even Diamond's fault, per se. It's just the way they are. You know, all this money can be a problem when you're trying to do something creative. Yeah. Um, also being and, a, a monopoly is kind of a problem, too. <laughs> yeah, and now part of that, I think, is laziness on the part of some... I don't know. I don't want to pick on comic book shops because I don't know all that's involved. I yeah. know it's a tough business. Yeah. But, like... I would, I've been trying to do or have been doing micro distribution where I'll contact stores individually right. and try to get them interested in carrying freaky. And some of them, uh, especially ones that I visit in person, they'll be like, yeah, we'll give it a shot. We'll put it out here. 
Others, though, are just don't want to put the energy into managing a consignment. And yeah. so it's simpler for them to just deal with one distributor, right. Diamond. But you can't really get into Diamond easily. Which is um, ironic because 30 years ago, there was like three or four distributors, and people dealt with different ones. And if you couldn't find the comic from Diamond, you went to Friendly Franks, or you went to... Uh, Cold, cold, cold stone or whatever it's called. There's yeah. one called, you know, I forgot the, all the different ones, and uh, you know, they all got gobbled up by uh, Diamond, and then that was the end of that. Um, right. Uh, I mean, it seems like that was a looser, funkier time in general. I yeah. mean, for all mediums, for for music, for film, like there was, it wasn't as corporatized and centralized. Right. You know, on the other hand, there's such an increased tools for the creator now with the internet and with you know for self-publishing and things like that that it seems like there would this would be a ripe time to reformulate i mean everything's got to reformulate after this pandemic and it's either going to be looser and funkier in general and more democratic you know and everybody gets a little better slice of pie or it's going to be a complete shit show uh, where um, you know it's just one percenters yeah. and only you know, the most corporate of media, uh, etc. Yeah, um, I don't know if it'll go that route because there's always enough of us ninety nine percenters that are going to take over the world. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, sometimes uh, you know a pandemic is a good motivator to yes. kind of uh, re recalibrate. I mean, who knows? Who yeah. knows what will happen? Um, but yeah, so I I definitely wouldn't mourn Diamond, but I don't want to see all the comic shops destroyed certainly and i know this is going to be tough already i mean is that what do you think that's ultimately a good thing or a bad thing for the independent comic retailer that uh, diamond would disappear when i was talking with eddie and then uh lee at lee's comics he closed his store but he had intentions to eventually anyway uh he has had the motivation to switch everything online gradually over time anyway and now he is completely online all these other stores that uh, have stores in the short term they're going to have to do some sort of online sales or do some curbside service kind of like takeout food um, now that no new comics are being distributed well that kind of negates anything of that so it's just a back issue market um and, uh, you know, do people order online just in general through Amazon, or do they order online directly through the store or through eBay? And uh, Lee's thing is through eBay, and he does well with it. And uh, that might have to be the model to go for if this pandemic lasts a significant amount of time, is just ordering directly from each shop. You know, they post their wares, and if you want it, you order it and get it mailed directly to your house. The downside is you can't like flip through it and see that it's you know the same condition that they're saying it is but you know <laughs> that's a yeah, whole yeah no i mean story. that's interesting but then for people that are creating books during this time um like my friend casanova frankenstein has a book that just came out on fanographics yeah fanographics are still somehow shipping stuff well, uh, mark palm the the mad artist um is one of those guys that works in the what I picture is the dungeon of fanographics boxing stuff up, and they're doing it. Right. But then, if it's not, if comic shops aren't ordering through Diamond, what are they ordering? Would that product even wind up? You well, know? okay. New, the newsstand distribution one, the main one for that is this thing called Ingram, and 
up until pretty recently, most comic books, except Marvel, were still going through Ingram, and so uh, stores like Barnes & Noble actually carried comic books until about two or three years ago. Um, but they didn't carry Marvels because Marvel had some exclusive diamond deals. So the per- the people that are really going to be out of luck on this is actually Marvel and to a small extent DC. Uh, because everybody else, like Archie, they'll do fine as long as grocery stores stay open and still order because all their digests go through Ingram and they have all the digest space that isn't taken up by soap opera digest and TV guide and whatever. Um, so they got that wrapped up. So Archie's not going anywhere. Um, Marvel's going to be in trouble, but they're kind of to the point where, oh, our movies are the thing and they may just not do comic books anymore or they might make them all digital or they might shift it over to just licensing out to another publisher and not deal with it anymore which they could you know it's like uh and dc does this bit and i don't know if this is ingram but they have some exclusive thing where they're distributing comic books through walmart oh those are those hundred page ones yeah got a couple of those the swamp thing ones yeah um do you do you read modern Superhero type comics, Mark? Uh, as little as possible. <laughs> and I wonder, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when I create work and digest other people's work, I wonder how much of my tastes are filtered through nostalgia or having preferences that developed from childhood or why it is that I like the things I like. But when I, like, picked up uh, some Swamp Thing comics from Walmart to check it out. Yeah. I was so put off by the sort of computerized coloring and yeah. the sort of the artwork is so expertly rendered that yeah. it lacks any style. Yeah. And this is a complaint I have with a lot of stuff. I have it with like the CGI and action movies and there's just this lack of humanity what you get when things are too perfectly done. Yeah. I like stuff that's kind of crude. Yeah. Um,
and that has that sort of weird human element, you know, like Swamp Thing. If uh, um, who was the original artist? The guy that was oh, really amazing. Oh uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I can't but even you know think. What I mean. Like, yes, it, I know. It, it it was, he did the first it, ten it issues or so way back when. Yeah, swampier than a real swamp looks. You know, it had that really over the top. Uh, Oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. This guy's Jeremy Bernie crazy. Wrightson, but that's not... Yes, that's it, who I meant. Oh, okay, all right, all right. I yeah. was going to get my price guy because sometimes yeah. I can't think of anything. And then any other time, of course, that's right, Bernie Wrightson, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, he is amazingly technically talented, but he had a real flavor that was his own, you yeah. know, just where you can just tell it's his right away. Most of the comic artists that I see doing DC and Marvel and things like that, I can't really differentiate too much one style from another. They're all super professional. It's all, like, expertly rendered. But I'd rather look at something that looks, like, funky and almost bad, like like Ditko or something. Yeah. But it's got that individualism to it. You know what I mean? Well, for me, it's like, I I don't know what it is. It's like, I have these silly rules <laughs> that you know you don't have to subscribe to but it has something to do with what my tastes are um like you well can i'll use superman because that was the one i picked up i picked up the first superman and the first batman of those hundred page collections and they had like one story that was reprinted from the 70s and that was the only one i really kind of enjoyed and um, I go, why do I enjoy this one and not the other ones, and especially the new one? And it's not only because it's rendered so perfectly digitally, like you're talking about, and probably all drawn on the computer. Um, it's that there's this incessant need that you have to have every piece of action bleed to the outer edge of every sheet of paper, and you can't have frames anymore. And right. I don't know, some, there's something about, like, you know, I think it's one of the reasons why I like the aesthetics of, like, Peanuts with Charlie Brown. You know, the four-frame box, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, it, 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 you know, and you don't go outside that frame. You know, it's, it's against right. the rules, you know, and it's like, it, it just creates, ah, this is comics to me. But when you suddenly have, you know, this guy hitting the guy in the other frame or a full page of just some wild action or something like that in some impossible, you know, setup and, <laughs> you know, physical uh, direction, it's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, it can be a bit much. I wonder if we got that from manga. It feels like maybe manga was first with doing Yeah, and I'm not a know, fan of that. Bad. So, you know, and I hate to say that if anybody's a manga fan. In fact, I interviewed uh, I won't name names. Everybody can listen to all the episodes. You know, it's like certain people are big manga fans and actually do them. Uh, it's not my favorite. <laughs> you know, I don't right. like anime much either. I like Speed Racer and Kimba, so that shows you how where, where my and, and Astro Boy, that's where my anime begins and ends in the 1960s. So, yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, one of my intentions for Freaky, um, which, uh, for those that haven't seen it, uh, and by the way, I'm happy to provide free sample copies to anyone that is interested, which has gotten a little guff, so we'll talk about that in a minute, too. (laughs) Um, Is it being more of an entry-level avenue for uh, comic artists yeah because I was seeing a lot of a lot of my friends were doing really good work and putting a lot of energy into creating stuff that I really liked 
but it was going out just in additions of like 20 that maybe 15 people were seeing it yeah. and it was just at you know zine fests or posted online or something like that and some of it i thought was really good it was the kind of stuff that i wasn't seeing um published by anyone else right like i i tend to like uh like monster humor and like offbeat and surreal funny stuff either comic strips or gag cartoons Um, I think for me one of the formative um, influences was Plop from DC Comics in the 70s Mm -hmm. where it was this sort of dark humored really stylish almost like underground comics I think some of the people were from underground comics but they were getting uh, mainstream exposure and there were some EC artists in there as well doing really over-the-top wild stuff that was just kind of mind-bending and also a little dark but also funny and i got the first issue i think when i was maybe eight or something and that was like a formative influence and um i wanted to try to provide that kind of material and a number of my friends were doing stuff like that like uh the artist nick caesar um in fremont he's mainly a painter of um kind of a humorous horror themes but was creating a comic strip on almost a daily basis that took his experiences he was having in his life but put them in the format of a gag cartoon involving a mosquito and a spider so like if he got sick off of some bad beer mm-hmm. uh, like some expired beer he would have a comic cartoon about like his mosquito alter ego discovering this catch of you know bad beer and the spider warning him not to drink it but him doing it anyway and it was just a way i think he was sort of expressing himself but i saw it it's like wow this is really good you know and it was getting like six likes on facebook Mm -hmm. and you know more people should see this yeah and um i had the desire to incorporate other people's work as well as my own in in some sort of ongoing format to try that out. So it wouldn't just be about me, but would sort of present this thing that I thought was lacking, which was something along the lines of, of plop, you know? Yeah. But that you didn't have to be uh, an industry veteran, you know, and an expert to get into. I couldn't pay those kind of rates right. anyway. Right. But I also wanted it to be uh, to me like sort of an analogy of like if mad is like making thinking about music there'd be these venues you know because I, I play as a one-man band or used to play as a one-man band there'd be venues where like all the like hot artists would play and the established artists and it was expensive and it was tough to get a gig there and there was just a lot of expectations and that was kind of like mad and you know understandably they're you know they get the the best artists and they have to pay them well and everything but i missed the sort of vibe of like a punk venue where you could see more offbeat stuff like in music you wouldn't go to one of those kind of expensive places to see something and it's gonna like blow your mind you go to like the sort of dive bar where like the neighborhood weirdos would be playing on trash cans and go wow i really like this and something maybe you wouldn't like it wouldn't necessarily have that uh, finesse to it, but that it would be interesting. Right. And I feel that way sometimes, you know, with, with underground comics, definitely have that vibe um, where you could experiment and not be necessarily technically 
terribly good, but mm-hmm. that there'd be interesting stuff in there. And that was kind of what I wanted to uh, focus on. I was really surprised when I got into Matt. I didn't think I was anywhere near good enough. I couldn't even, <laughs> when, they, when they expressed interest, I couldn't think of how my work would fit in there. And the best I was hoping for was to have them maybe have a picture of Freaky. That would have totally satisfied me. Do you want to hear about this? Because this was a whole journey I took sure, with sure. the experience of being in Mad and then not being in Mad and then moving on from that. And I'm not jealous and, much. Uh, no. Well, I, well before before you, you go be, to your story, I will say this. I don't because I need to ask you this, and you can incorporate it in your story. Um, for some reason, looking back on it, since I had contributed off and on to Mad since the the 70s, actually. To be honest, um, submitted you mean submitted things? Yeah, just yeah. off and on since the mid seventies when when I you know I said it, but for some reason, even though I would read Crazy and Cracked and uh, National Lampoon and all the other ones like that, it never occurred to me to to submit to any of the other publications. <laughs> I just wanted to be in Mad for some dumb reason. I thought Mad was uh, it, and Mad was probably the clo- most closed shop of all of them. And I here I'm, you know, looking back on it, I go, "Dummy, you could have gotten into Cracked." But anyway, right. so go right. with your story and tell me your uh, stories from the seventies on. I guess <laughs> I don't know when you started. Okay, well, I mean, I grew up with Mad. Uh, my dad was a fan going back to the 50s and he had a big stack and I think either subscribed or kept picking them up into the 70s so there's all kinds of like weird Watergate humor that I was reading as a six year old you know what I mean right. but he even had one of the EC comics and he had a lot of them from the 50s and the 60s and so my brother and I just devoured those <laughs> uh, weirdly even before I could read I was aware of Alfred E. Newman because I would go to my <laughs> go to bookstores and libraries with my parents and I was really attracted to that face you know, the, <laughs> the gap tooth so I would play this game where I try to find all of them that I could you know on the paperback racks mm-hmm. and stuff <laughs> so and I think that's maybe that kind of thing is the reason why you were submitting just to Mad is that it was a part of the cultural fabric in a way that the others weren't yeah. the others were viewed at the time like sort of imitations or ripoffs. Right. To be honest, now I find cracked and uh, crazy and especially sick as interesting. Maybe yeah. because I wasn't exposed to them as much back then. But there's, uh, similar to what I'm talking about with Freaky, there's some stuff that wouldn't get into mad just because it was incompetent. But it had these weird, crazy germs of creativity in it <laughs> that are more exciting than seeing something that is competent but that doesn't have that you know, element of madness, maybe. <laughs> but, um, so getting back to it, so mad was a, a thing, you know, uh, that I was very aware of. And then I got into comics, and, um, Plop and Plastic Man was my favorite superhero. So definitely it was funny stuff that I kind of gravitated towards. And I had Richie Riches and, uh, Archie's. Mm-hmm. Archie's Madhouse is the one I like yeah. the most now, but, um, at the time, I think. My brother had a large collection. And then I, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but I sort of moved away from art and got really into music and was playing in punk bands and stuff. But then when the sort of indie comics uh, started coming in in the 90s, where there were a lot of these black and white, um, you know, lower budget 
creator-owned stuff. Um, like, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but I was really influenced by Rock and Bones, which was Darren Marinuk. He's in my freaky number three. He does these kind of rock and roll sort okay. of 60s-inspired comics. And uh, Al Frank and Tad Martin um, was a comic put out by Caliber, and he's now on uh, Fantagraphics. And it was a really wild kind of... Uh, uh, film noir type punk influenced sort of uh, collage technique. Anyway, these weird things, you know, and and hate, you know, and eight ball and stuff like yeah, that. So yeah. that was happening. I was thinking, wow, I should, you know, do this. And because um, I I was always a an, you know I would draw stuff and I had some ability at it. I didn't um, approach it too professionally, except I did figure out how to use a brush. I had one <laughs> conversation with someone that knew something about comics and said, oh, you know, a lot of that's done with a brush. And I found that that was a really interesting technique. And I never managed to use a, a dip pen, but the brush, I developed kind of my own style with it. I mean, far from kind of professional level you know that like a real quote comic artist would do but I had my own sort of style happening I was drawing Ogner Stump right. was my hero I basically didn't want to have to uh, think of what to do with my life so I was going to draw these Ogner Stump cartoons I was going to do a thousand of them <laughs> Ogner Stump's a thousand sorrows each one would be like a different thing that I thought was a problem in the world so it would take me a hundred years to finish and that thus I wouldn't have to like think about anything <laughs> so I, I was pretty diligent about that I got to like number 150 or something um, and it, it mutated in different ways like for a while it was in pork so I kept a much more simplified style when I was doing that prior to pork there were a lot of like sort of tabloid sized free local comic newspapers that existed mm -hmm. in various cities for various periods of time People still have this kind of thing going. There are a couple in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Shoveled under the shitstorm. Kind of wishing I wasn't born. Rolling under tables. Into the gum, waiting for a package. Ain't never gonna come. Get up, crap mountain. Get up, crap mountain. Get up, that mountain of crap. And don't fall back. Mustards 
blackish Headed home to a cardboard hut With duct tape doors At the price I'm paying Be glad it isn't yours Now get up Don't fall back Don't fall back Don't fall back Don't fall back But that was a format that existed for a while that was a good way to submit materials. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There were these sort of free papers, yeah. and there were a lot of them in different cities, and they would never last more than like 20 issues or something. But they would have all kinds of weird underground comics and some like poetry and stuff right. and, and whatever. Um, and so that was a good uh, medium. And that led to being in zine fests, which um, I saw zine fests go through, uh, at least in the Bay Area, a number of different styles where for a while it was a lot of self-published comics and then it was a lot of very sort of silk screen professional graphics artisan stuff yeah. and now it's pretty much the domain of uh, marginalized voices which I can fully understand but if you go to a zine fest now it would mainly be sort of personal stuff um, you know from people that are not part of considered part of the mainstream of society yeah <laughs> and not as much room in there for funny monster comics yeah it's, it's not really the place for it anymore That's too bad. <laughs> um but so i was doing comics this whole time and when i did my first issue of freaky uh so i've seen people that were doing the funny monster comics and there wasn't as much room in zine fest anymore for it and i was partially inspired by British comics of the 70s. Have you ever heard of Faceache? Mm, no. You might want to look up Faceache. Faceache is like the sort of cross between uh, like a Harvey comic style and a Plastic Man hmm. sort of vibe about this kid that can shift his um, body into any position. And it's really surreal and wild, but also you know, very well done and comic, and it's it's funny. Was this a mainstream and, uh, comic over there, or no? What's that? Was this a mainstream comic over there, or something? Yeah, a little more? it was different in England. Like they were weekly. Did you know that? Well, I like know there's the, weekly things like the Beano and the Dandy. Yeah, Dandy's not published exactly. anymore, but there's I mean they Bino have those. And, and then the Viz is the dirtier one, and you know it's different yeah, ones. Yeah. You know, but yeah. during the seventies and sixties and eighties, there were dozens of these. Yeah, it wasn't just Beano and Dandy. They're the last one standing. Actually, Beano still. Yeah comes out every week yeah um but uh there was in the 70s there was a wave of monster humor uh, that caught okay. on i think monsters were just big in the 70s in yeah. general yeah because like i was a huge famous monsters of film land oh yeah and they had the monster Man. times and there's other yeah. things so you know it's like yeah 
So in England, there were a lot of these comics. I mean, similar, you've probably seen Little Monsters uh, yeah. in the American comic. Yeah. Or, you know, or um, Dick Briefer's Frankenstein earlier yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, you know, yeah. stuff like that had a little bit of a renaissance in the 70s in England. And there were a couple of comics that were specifically devoted to that, like Monster Fun and... Um, uh, Shiver and Shake was another one. And so I was inspired to put together, I knew a bunch of people that were doing sort of monstrous or offbeat kind of surreal comics, either comic strips or gag cartoons. And I thought, hey, I'll package that with some of the stuff that I'm doing, but I'll make it look like a mid-century humor magazine. <laughs> so the interior, like a freaky number one, there's no real humor mag type stuff in it. It's all comics. Yeah. But it looks like a humor mag. Yeah. And it's got a mascot, and he introduced everything, which is partially the inspiration from Plop, where you had um, Sergio Aragonis doing Cain and Abel and, and a third character. Eve. And they introduced everything, you know? <laughs> and I always liked that. I liked yeah. that with Creepy and Eerie yeah. uh, and Vampirella, where they had this sort of, um, you know, a host. Yeah. Almost like the horror host idea, which I loved as a kid. And like, EC started that, you know. So, you know. What's that? EC oh, yeah, started yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Crypt did, Keeper right. and all that stuff. And, yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, man, EC, like in the 70s, it was so hard to find any. And I know. Uh, there's such an embarrassment of riches now. But yes. I just remember, like, <laughs> I got those first EC reprints that came out in the early 70s. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I got them at that kind of bookstore in San Jose. Do you know the one I'm talking about? There's one in downtown San Jose that was amazing. Uh, oh, uh, I talked about this with a, on a different podcast. You'll love the, ne the next few podcasts that get uploaded. Uh, Comic Collector Shop with Bob Sidebottom. Yeah. I talked yeah, to yeah, Phil yeah, Schleifler yeah. about that. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, it blew a lot of our minds, you know. So growing up in the 70s in the Bay Area of California, you had that, you had Creature Features on the TV, and it was just a rich, and you know, and then Star Wars came out. So it was a rich time for, like, collecting weird, you know, nerdy yep. stuff and yep. being into weird stuff. Yep. So I had a affection for that format, Um and so I did it magazine sized. I feel like magazine sized and black and white was something I liked that I was was not around much anymore. Other than uh, the Creeps magazine, yeah, it just seemed like it wasn't. You know, everything was all glossy. Well, even that's a color. throwback. You know, it's like uh, you know, yeah, that's, that's because that's pretty recent, and they, they're trying to look like a Warren magazine, even to call their yeah. company Warrant. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is another interesting topic for me is like how far do you go back like if I don't consider myself a conservative that wants to bring back the old days why am I do, doing something that resembles a mid-century humor mag you know what I mean like these are questions that like why is it that we do what we do and like yeah like the things we like well let me ask you something here is like, uh, because I think this is what you're doing with Freaky now that I've seen three issues and I know what you've been doing behind the scenes is you've been buying up some of the older humor magazines and things like that and I assume ostensibly not just to read them but also to get ideas not necessarily to crib ideas but you know I mean you did have that one hold up thing and crack used to have that where you hold it up to the light and it shows what's in Trump's stomach. I was kind of <laughs> bummed when I saw that they did it too because I wasn't actually consciously aware of that oh. kind of something they did. <laughs> yeah, they used to do that. So I thought 
you thought, oh, this would be a great idea. Let's update it. And I thought that's well, what you've been doing. You've been like, oh, here's a great idea that was in sick 40 years ago. Well, let's update it and try to, you know, <laughs> whatever. Well, I did do selfie versus reality, where okay. in one panel you see uh, a selfie, and then the reality panel you see um, the larger scene. And I think there there is an equivalent to that in Cracked. Maybe the shut-up. You know what I mean? Like in the shut-up, yeah. you see part of the story and then you see the rest yeah so that was uh, like a conscious updating and also uh i did these and i'm doing these acronym monsters where you take an internet acronym like i'm always befuddled when i'm texting with someone (laughs) and they say okay lmk i'm like i don't know what lmk means like (laughs) like loose muscat cadence yes (laughs) but it's let me know so I I took the idea where I'm going to make these monsters out of these things. <laughs> like um, KMS was is this like a woman that's got a knife to her head and a rope <laughs> and a bottle of poison with like six arms because uh, it means kill myself. So so it's like a so new it, new version of horrifying cliches. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Mad Magazine really liked the idea, so I was bummed when uh, they uh, stopped, uh, as far as I know, well, buying much. Like I said, stuff. another episode you haven't heard yet, but there's the Tom Richmond one. He was saying they still accept things. However, they don't accept TV and movie parodies, so they're not doing that. So you might have the ability to get, you know, especially since your articles are short. You know, an occasional one pager yeah. in there. I mean, I don't know if it's worth it to you, but well, you've already been in there, so you know. <laughs> I would love to be in it, but it's um, you know they've only got so many pages these right. days. You know, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll okay. get into we'll get into mad. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, yeah, there was some of that, some of intentional, some of it accidental with freaky, but I definitely am now digging around. Um, but I'm also incorporating elements of stuff that aren't really from humor mags, um, like a little bit of the, uh, I've got a few little stories that are kind of like worn things, and I'd be interested in doing a little bit of tabloid news, like weekly world news type stuff. Yeah. Because um, although they're still doing really good stuff online, and they talk about putting it back in print, they haven't, and I think there's room for more of that. Yeah. But kind of a vibe of like, you know, the world is changing. Oh my God, is it changing, right? And a lot of stuff is disappearing. <laughs> and I definitely felt this emotional connection with Mad Magazine that I think a lot of people feel. Yeah. Um, and it has to do with our youth and the world that we knew. And I know it seems like you feel this way about humor mags, and they're probably even more a part of your life than mine. But that the fact that they aren't around can be a little, you know, unsettling because it's kind of like not having cheeseburgers anymore yeah. or something like that and maybe you know cheeseburgers aren't well, good for you well whatever, i always think like, do, does anybody think anything's funny anymore you know and it's like it can't just be because you can do something instantaneously on facebook or you know anywhere on the internet it's got to be more complex than that like people don't have it, it's like in the old let me say this it's like the old days where there was three networks and so, you know, there was like two TV shows that everybody watched. So you either watch one or the other or nothing. And, you know, everybody talked about it at school or at the water cooler at work the next day. So everybody knew about it. But now it seems like the only reason I can think of that humor has died in a magazine is because 
it, it's so fragmented now. You know, everybody doesn't have the similar experience anymore. Till this pandemic thing, I mean, now everybody has a similar experience again, but it's like, you know, uh, there's no humor magazine outlet for it. You know, so. Well, I think that was definitely true as far as like movie and TV parodies, because there's yeah. such a wealth of, you know, stuff where um, it was one of the reasons why I wasn't reading Mad in like the 20. 20- Tens, you know, from uh, until I started, until they sort of did the the Bill Morrison stuff, um, because it was I didn't understand what they were making fun of. I was no longer part of like I didn't I hadn't seen those movies, I hadn't heard those artists, I didn't know what any of it was. The video games, because I you know by that time right. I was in my forties. I'm now fifty two yeah. or something, and it's like I was just out of the loop, so I yeah. figured it just kind of wasn't for me, you know what I mean once this stuff happened with Trump I got more into reading Mad because I felt like they were, you know, a voice of, of sanity and critique yeah. um, but it was also sometimes depressing to read, you know <laughs> Yes. Uh, but I think what you know, when people said Mad was killed by the availability of that kind of humor in Saturday Night Live and on the internet, I think it's missing the point that it was illustrated by these great artists. Yeah. You know, so the humor might have spread throughout the culture, but it's not the same when it's not drawn by someone that's got their way of communicating it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, nothing can replace Don Martin, you know. Um, and in that respect, it's unique. I think the other element here, though, is what happened to magazines in general, and that would be yeah. the internet, right? Yeah. Um, and I, when Mad went through its uh, changes, I got interested in why is that happening, and I'm still interested as I'm trying to do my own thing. It's like, why is it impossible? How do newsstands work? And, um, yeah. You know, this might be a boring conversation well, for folks. Another episode, del- about, like, another episode that you should listen to. See, I have all these ones that have all these answers. Uh, I interviewed okay. Michael Gerber, who's the editor and publisher. That you uh, haven't put it out. Yet. I haven't put I'm that out yet. There's like, all these ones yeah. I haven't put out yet. Okay. It's just because I'm so right. far ahead. So we in the next get... two months, these will all be up. But anyway, we uh, talk about this very thing about how distribution works, and he says how it was all gangster driven and you know mafioso and all right. that stuff. You know, and it's like, but it's not necessarily that way now, except now it's controlled by, you know, people, you know, taking the tastes of the culture. And so, you know, there apparently is no room for humor or comic art or anything like that. There's only room for, like, needlepoint magazines and things like that. So it's like, you know, it depends, you know, it, so you're fighting for this space. Yeah, but also newsstands aren't the same way as they were anyway. Right. They don't really people exist. People are buying magazines with the same regularity. And I was inspired by Michael's model. That's actually why I'm doing a freaky subscription through Patreon. Yeah. Is I was inspired by the way he was doing it. Um, I had thought of Patreon as being like a you pay by the month to like sort of support a creator. But they do have these, you can do a magazine subscription through it, which I didn't know until I saw his, yeah. which is you just pay by the magazine. Right. And, um, you know, it's just managed as a subscription. So I gave that a try, and as you know, it's Patreon. It's it's a slow slog, but it's also kind of fun, and it does sort of work. You know, it is a way to do that, and... Um, 
you know, I think he's mentioned that he reaches about a thousand people and breaks even. That's kind of my goal. Yeah. You know, that's sort of my dream is to do that. I print a thousand issues of Freaky because mm-hmm. uh, it's a good motivating number to work with. Yeah. But, um, you know, I right now I have 30 subscribers on Patreon. Time for a plug. If you go to uh, patreon.com <laughs> slash Freaky Magazine, you'll see me there. And it's only $7 per issue including postage and I always throw in a whole lot of goodies if you want to be a $25 Patreon Patreon you get original comic artwork <laughs> with your uh, subscription and people have been taking me up on it, so it's great but yeah so he's doing something smaller scale and I think maybe that's part of the answer but MAD had a circulation of 150,000 that yeah. is huge yeah. it's not the 2 million they once had Right. It is huge. A hundred thousand of that is subscribers. That's mind blowing, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, a big comic gets about twenty or thirty thousand. Right. So it is the best selling comic ever still and D C gutted it. Now there may be stuff I don't know. Well, a lot and of it has to do with like pat, with uh, AT and T and stuff like that. That sure. still okay, doesn't make yeah. sense to me completely. It's like why would they have so much you know, pull on it, but you know, apparently they did. So money talks, I guess, and get rid of that little cutesy poo magazine and take it off the stands, I guess. I don't know what their thinking right. was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, okay, we're getting there in the story because I saw that all from the inside. So I don't know if you're interested, but sure. I could share some of that. That I went down to DC, you know, during the brief window when I was part of it and stuff. And, uh, you know, it was a highlight of my life, <laughs> but it also affected what I wanted to do uh, with my own career and for other people with Freaky in that there were some things I took away that's like, oh, I really want to, you know, I'm inspired by that. And a lot of it was negative inspiration where it's like, oh, my God, don't let it be like that. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> the um, – so anyway, let me uh, – I'll go back to where I was. Uh, I put out an issue of this Freaky that had the uh, – had a mascot, had a painted cover – it had the title like a humor mag, but the inside at first was just sort of, uh, you know, comics. And it was right. I, it was carefully curated because I knew that the downfall of anthologies is when they just let anything in and there's no cohesion whatsoever. And as a result, it just kind of doesn't hold together. Right. That's That's been my feeling when I've seen some of these anthologies. And it didn't actually occur to me until I was doing this that a magazine is an anthology by its nature. Right, right. It kind of blew my mind. Like, I just never thought of it that way, that Matt was an anthology. But, of course, it is, because you're not going to have the same person draw the whole thing. Well, I mean, there are exceptions. I mean, yeah, you just said, unless somebody, like, grew the Wanderer, let's say, since Sergio uh, draws it all and Mark Evanier writes it all, you know, and things like that. So there is a consistency. But that's a, that's a comic. You know True, I mean? but I mean, I've seen magazines comic. similar to that. I mean, uh, what, what would be a good example? Uh, 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 well, like ElfQuest or something, you know, going way oh, okay. back, you know. It's like well, that's not, right, right, Love and Rockets. I don't know, you know, just there have been magazines. Well, even you mentioned sure. Hate. You know, it's like Buddy Bradley, you know, kind of took over, you know, and it's like and that was the, the storyline, you know, yeah. even though it was a magazine, you know. But yeah. in general... You think of an editor and contributors, True. you know what I mean? True. As and then that would stuff, be the anthology format. Yeah. And things yeah. That's curated. So it really is an anthology. It's a repeating anthology. Because I started thinking about, well, why is it that I want to do it? And part of it was an affection for the format, the black yeah. and white, the magazine size. I just felt like 
that was what was missing. And I don't know if that was, I mean, it might be just from my own childhood experience with Famous Monsters and with Mad that I liked that. Um, but it, it was something that I didn't want to see disappear from the world. I've just got an affection for the magazine format, the periodical. I prefer yeah. it to hold something in my hands. And this may be, you know, aging uh, Generation X stuff, but that's fine. Like, yeah. um, if that's whatever reason you like something, you know what I mean? But I didn't want to be completely retro and um, imitate all those elements because I feel like it's dead energy. Uh, I don't want to try to really revive something yeah. in its entirety. To some extent, I was inspired by Pork, and what Sean was doing there was yeah. bringing back elements of culture that he thought were of value and sort of reformatting them for modern era. And he took stuff from, like, uh, New York 70s punk and <laughs> magazines like National Lampoon and Screw, um, this sort of, like, hipster vibe, you know, from that era, mm -hmm. and presented it for, like, the sort of indie garage audience of, uh, you know, the 20-teens. And it really worked, and he's created a whole like enterprise out of that with uh, you know buttons and stuff. You'd see people that look like they stepped out of a, a Ramones video or whatever that <laughs> were wearing um, pork stuff, and it was it was brilliant. And so that was inspiration to me. It's like, oh, I'll do something that has this flavor of stuff that I like. Like I really like beatnik stuff. Yeah. Um, I just think it's like exploitation. Like I just think like beatniks are funny, and that mm -hmm. I just like the vibe of like bongos and poetry and stuff. And so, like, I put a lot of that in there just because I think it's cool. You know yeah. what I mean? And, um... on these magazines 
I think it's nice to do it in black and white. I've always preferred the black and white for Mad, you know, uh, just because that's what I started with. And when it went to color, I was like, okay, you know, but it's like it kind of lost a little bit of its charm that it didn't really need to be in color because I really enjoyed looking at the art because they had incredible artists in there, you know. And uh, the thing that, you know, Al Feldstein really doesn't get a lot of credit for Mad. You know, Kurtzman, 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 and, you know, even, you know, the artists and writers. But, I mean, a lot of it had to do with Feldstein, even back in the comic book days. He knew a good artist when he saw it. He knew a good format. It was very rigid, but, you know, he he kept it going. So, you know, it's like it got to the point on Mad where even Lampoon parodied it in the early 70s. It's like uh, you got your Spy versus Spy. You got your Lighter Side. You got your Folden. You got your Don Martin. You got, you know, and it's like, yeah, you know, it's like you get what you expect when you buy a Mad, you know. Well, uh, this but, raises a larger question, though, which yeah. is interesting because, like, Mark, you've criticized or just shared your feeling about Viz being samey. Yeah. And Viz is very samey. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, so, well, I didn't finish what I was going to say. There's nothing wrong with samey, but, you know, at the same time, it can get tiresome, too. You know, so if that makes sense. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a tricky balance. Yes. Um, one thing I noticed about Feldstein, because I've recently been accumulated a lot of mad recently. Like, um, I think comic. Uh, uh, humor mags are still kind of undervalued yeah. and like um, I came across like a giant stack of them going back to the 60s and I picked up some of the 50s ones for not much money and so I've been rereading them and you see the very early magazine ones are still Kurtzman they're much busier and yeah. kind of more intellectual yeah. you know and I actually don't like those that much I don't it's even... not as much fun yeah. it sort of gets simplified when um, when Feldstein takes over yeah it becomes a little more graphic yeah and um i i do uh kind of prefer it you know it's interesting though the humor is great in the very early ones and the art's amazing but it's much more it seems a little more highbrow it seems a little more yeah. almost like national lampoon or something it's yeah. got the very realistic ads well and, kurtzman uh, always did that if you read trump humbug or help you know it's always oh, but geared. Help is all fumetti because he got either lazy or broke or something. Uh, more uh, broke than anything else, but yeah. it, it's still a little more sophisticated than the average, you know, humor magazine. You know, at the time, to the uh, almost to the being with the point of exclusion. You know, it's like to, it's not really a humor magazine. It's just Kurtzman's being sophisticated, like you're saying. So yeah, and I'm not really into sophistication. It's not what excites <laughs> me. Um, I don't like, I don't really like the New Yorker. I find some of those gags funny. Yeah. Um, but, like, it's just got this sort of rich, kind of liberal flavor to it that yeah. doesn't really speak to me. Yeah. Um, but that's just my personal preference, you know. Uh, I like stuff that's a little cruder, a little wilder. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little looser. And so that was, you know, again, what I'm trying to do with uh, Freaky. Because... Like when I saw the the new Mads, I bought the number one that when they redid the ordering and everything. Right. And I bought a few of them after, and they were just amazing works of art. And you know, the, I really feel like the artists they had towards the end um, were just geniuses and very, uh, very like skilled. It was very graphic designy, 
And I, I enjoyed it, and I thought it was really high quality, but I thought there's no way my stuff would fit in here in any conceivable way. <laughs> but a friend of mine knew one of the editors or like came across them in a different context and recommended me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think that's what it takes. I've had three brushes in my life with kind of like a bigger audience or some kind of mainstreamy encounter. Mm-hmm. And it's always been through someone else's recommendation. It's yeah. never been my hustling myself. Yeah. I mean, you have to hustle yourself to even get in that position where people know what you're doing. But right. then I think it, it seems like it takes someone else saying, hey, you know what? You should check out this guy. Yeah. Because then it's like, oh. Maybe I should check out this guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, exactly. And then uh, <laughs> just in one of those weird coincidences that I think is also part of the whole life's journey, the editor had recently been looking at my work because she saw a flyer hanging on a telephone pole or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> and now they're in L.A. What are the odds of seeing some flyer I did, you know, <laughs> or even on the Internet? Like, so that was sort of that weird sort of cosmic karmic stuff that you see happens i believe well, now were you doing L- like, were you doing la shows at that time or yeah oh okay so yeah. you were going down there so yeah okay. but la is a big town yeah i mean of course. Like, yeah. it was weird you know yeah. and then it turned out later uh, that she had even seen i'm talking about Susie hutchinson yeah. now who i think saved mad i think but she's the hero of the latter day yeah. story i i think it's We'll get into it if you want to and if we have the time, but I think she's the one that changed the original plan, I believe, was for it to be just reprints, just to fill subscriptions, and then to be over. Yeah. And I think she saved it just by advocating for it. Yeah. So that's off to Susie. Yeah. And it's great to see that she's the managing editor now. But yeah. she, well, we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> Should I continue with this, or is this ground that you've already kind of covered? Well, I don't or? know where you're going with it. I mean, continue. Continue. <laughs> we're going. We're going to Burbank with it, Mark. Okay. Do you want to go to Burbank? <laughs> I mean, it can't be that long. I mean, the current series is only thirteen issues, and the thirteenth one isn't even out yet. So it's like. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it will be by the time this uploads, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I just checked my mailbox. It's not there. Yeah. But um, yeah, the themed issues. It's very National Lampoon. Yeah. Anywho, so I didn't see any way that I could get in it, but a friend of mine recommended. So I figured, all right, I'll follow up on this. Now, around the same time, I had gotten very depressed. Um, I put out Freaky Number One, and it was cool. I was doing my band thing. But I turned 50, and I became suddenly concerned about global warming. (laughs) I think I was thinking of global warming as being something that would hit the kids that I don't have. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was just going to manage to not really think about this. But I think around that time, I was really freaked out by Trump already. So this is already kind of like the world's insane sort of feeling and not insane in a good way. Mm -hmm. But then I read like a recent global warming report that came out that basically said, you know, we're fucked. Like it's, it's over. Goodbye. And I got really depressed because I think the combination of turning 50 and seeing that the world was ending. Uh, put me in a real downbeat frame of mind. You're my age. Did you go through something like this, Mark? Did you have kind of a bummer I, in midlife? I have my whole life. I always am focused on my age. I don't know. It's like, you know, I even go like, how do I, 
I don't feel 53. And then I go, holy <laughs> shit, unless I'm really extreme, I, my life's over halfway over. You know, it's like, you know, it's like no matter what I do, you know, it's like, you know, so. Right. So that hit me in global warming. Okay. And I decided I would try to do some comics based on global warming yeah. uh, for Freaky. Uh, to try to sort of like get a handle on my, you know, being freaked out about it and sort of convert it to art. Like the traditional thing artists will do, they'll take something that, you know, bothers them and try to make something out of it that helps them make sense of it or make fun of it or just, just deal with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And since I knew that uh, I had the sort of temporary eyeballs of bad, I figured, you know what, I'll try to make these st- comics I'm doing about global warming a little bit better than my usual comic i'll just take a little more time with them uh <laughs> and submit it along with a copy of freaky so that they can see sort of what sort of work i do yeah uh and so that's what i did so i drew these comics uh about global warming featuring a couple of offbeat characters dealing with global warming stuff i sent it with uh freaky through the mail and here's my pro trip about uh submitting stuff do it through the mail don't do it online yeah. because I think it makes a difference I think people don't do it as much and um, it can get people's attention uh, they never really advertise that way for stuff it's usually like submitted through this form or whatever but I think if you send something through the mail maybe it captures yeah. people's attention in the way that other stuff did. it agree. used to work with, for me with music too like I would s- not just email people but actually send something physical in the mail yeah. and it would get people's attention a lot of the time because no one else is doing that you know right so that's that's my pro advice on that anyway they saw these comics or she did and she said yeah let me run it by the editors one thing I never understood about Matt is they always have about 12 different editors yeah. you know and there was always kind of shifting around yeah. and now that I'm doing a magazine I don't understand it you know you need like two people uh, and I don't I, you know to be fair, I don't really know how these things work, and I guess right now they are back down to like two people. Yeah. But it always seemed weird. Well, I mean, that, that's so the, that's editors. that's the reason why these magazines got so expensive and people bellyache. Mads five ninety nine. Why is that? Because all these editors command higher salaries and they need to be paid, and you know the circulation is a hundred thousand instead of two million. And so, uh, yeah, Al Feldstein used to do it all himself. You know, he was replaced by two editors immediately off the bat. They put Nick Meglin and John. Fakara in there, and then by the time Fakara ended, he had like six or seven other editors with him. And well, a couple of a couple of things about that. For one, <laughs> as you pointed out, five ninety nine isn't really that much. Six dollars. Well, I don't magazine. think it's that much, but yeah. some people poo poo. In fact, I just was talking literally today, um, you know, about the price of mad, or maybe it was yesterday, and uh, I said it was just a revelation that came out of my head. Mad. Turned to five ninety nine an issue with the five hundredth issue, which came out in two thousand nine. So five ninety nine has been the longest time frame, eleven years, that the Mad's been the same price, even beating a quarter because it was twenty five cents for only ten years. So and it's not that much in today's dollars. Yeah, and, and if you subscribe, it's not five ninety nine. It's like a buck yeah. fifty an issue or something. Right. You know, so it's, and it's in color. Yeah. Um, and see, so people really have this impression of Mad from when they were a kid that it should be thirty cents, it should be black and white, yeah. and they'll always say like, "Oh, and now it's got ads." 
it, the first issues had ads. Yeah. I didn't realize that. There are ads in the back. And also, you know, when and they and started taking advertising, ads. it only lasted a couple of years because yeah, guess what? There's no ads now. in any comic books yeah. anymore, yeah. except house so, ads. You know? But I mean, that's just life. People have these weird ideas about yeah. how things are. Yeah. Um, the other thing about Mad, they pay super well and they pay right away. So yeah. I got to give them hats off to that. Hey. <laughs> um, I had I was used to doing stuff for nothing. You know what I mean? And right. losing money on things. Like this was my first taste of like real, uh, only taste, let me say, of real, you know, uh, media. And um, I had an idea in my head of what like a good page rate for a comic artist was. Like just a, like a loose conception I had of like, you know, what if I were looking to be hired for something I would ask for. They told me it was two and a half times what this number was. And I thought, oh my God, these people, like, they treat you right. And then it turned out that was just for the art. I got double it for writing it. as well. Yeah. So the amount they paid was five times what I thought was a good rate. <laughs> now, I'm not supporting a family on this. I have a day job. That's how I approach doing my art is like as a, a sideline and I take it really seriously but I don't rely on it for income right. and so what might have seemed huge to me I guess doesn't seem huge to some people I've heard Tom Richmond mention that it's kind of lower compared to other work he does but to me it was like oh my god they're paying that much and they pay right away Yeah, and I guess that was a mad thing they always paid right away they would pay as soon as you bought the artwork and they'd give yeah, it to as, you as far as comic books they paid well I mean I don't you don't have to say what the rates are, but I knew in the old days, Mad would pay like four hundred a page uh, for writing and four hundred for uh, art. So, and that's years ago. So, if it's more than that, it's probably more than that. At the same time, somebody like Cracked was paying like thirty-five bucks a page. So oh, really? Yeah. Who was that low? Yeah. I didn't know any of this stuff until I started doing these interviews and, you know, think, you know, and since, you know, this is, you know, Crack's belly up, I don't have to, you know, I think Crack got up to like $60 per page if you were like a seasoned veteran or something. And that's not counting John Severin. He had a salary and he had his own thing going, which was totally different, but, you know, <laughs> um, right. but, but yeah, they didn't pay big things for these other humor magazines. Uh, but, you know, they're in line with, like, standard comic books, you know. So, you know, uh, Harvey, Archie, all paid, like, 30, 35 bucks a page, you know. Uh, right, right. Back then, this is, like, 70s and 80s, you know. I don't know what they pay now, you know, but, uh, you know. so But you could make a living off of that if you did, like, a standard, you know, you know, five-page article or something every month, you know. It's like you could you could actually pay your rent back then you know it's like yeah, you know, right, right 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 you know you might yeah, be living so in a hole in the wall but you'd, yeah, you'd be yeah, able to yeah, pay yeah. your rent if the rent was like 125 a month or something you know and you sold six pages there's your rent and a little bit of food you know it's like absolutely know. yeah right yeah so to me it was amazing um and so anyway they they went for these global warming comics yeah. Later, I think it turned out that I had hit them at the right time. Like, they had a, a few pages to fill, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they were going through some turbulence. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, they did generally like it. And that sort of approval was, uh, you know, life-changing for me. Because it was the first time that someone in a position of sort of, like, relative power had said, Hey, I like what you do. We want you on board. Mm -hmm. And it completely transformed my state of mind. I felt like I completely made it. Uh, <laughs> it lasted about ten minutes. Yeah. But, like... For that 10 minutes, I felt like, oh, my God, I've arrived. All is well in my universe. Right. Like, all my 30 years of, like, 
you know, throwing stuff at the wall to try to do something creative had finally paid off. And it was in the one sort of like avenue where I knew that like friends and family could understand and recognize. It's like, oh, you're in med. That's something. You know what I mean? Like if I told people I was in, you know, uh, American Bystander or whatever, like people like you would know that that's great, but like no one else would, you know. (laughs) Not, not to diss them, yeah, but you know yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. It was part of that it's cultural not, uh, yeah. thing. So, like, yeah. it was, um, it was like the one thing I could finally like show my parents where they feel like, oh, you know, yeah. just a drug addict. Well, I mean, I've had the same situation. I mean, it's like I do all these books. So who's the publisher? Bear Manor. Who? And then, you know, so the only thing I can have that's even remotely similar to you and claim to fame is, you know, I've done audio commentaries for Shout Factory and for um, Kino Lorber. And I tell you the truth, I got paid more for the Bear Manor stuff. But, you know, it's like, but the other stuff, you know, it has a higher visibility rate you know it's like i'm doing commentaries on casper cartoons and uh underdog cartoons and pink panther cartoons and things like that so it's perception you know (laughs) right i mean people that are artists know how hard it is to do anything at all right like i see that and think wow that's amazing you know you've got a publisher that wants to put out these books you've got the you know stamina to to find out you know what michael nesmith was doing in 1975 (laughs) and um you know i'm curious about that i look forward to reading that and i think it's amazing but yeah to our parents like that don't understand this kind of thing or like you know people just regular folks it's like, oh, you know, you're on that DVD. Like, I know what you're talking about. Like, that's that's great. So it fulfilled all those kind of weird ego things. Yeah. Like, and it transformed my state of mind for, it was about a month. It took about a month for the whole thing to fall apart. <laughs> Glad I wasn't yeah. around. <laughs> and I'm in Madden, you are... Nah, nah, nah. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, you were the first one that indicated something was amiss when I told you about it, and you're just like, oh, they're still publishing? Because I know Bill Morrison just left. Oh, yeah. And any of that was going on. And, and so was, like, was this before or after he got the boot? Well, I didn't know about it. So well, it was, it was, in, the, it was in the news, it was so... I mean, but I wasn't really paying attention to oh, this stuff. Okay, okay. It, it was pretty... It was at the beginning of that. Uh, so you okay. filled me in, and so I knew that things were tenuous. Oh. But I went down there, because it was my one... I had a gig in L.A., and it's like, I want to see the Mad Magazine offices. You know what I mean? Right. And so I had this idea of it being kind of like in that Simpsons episode, where it's going to be like this crazy place, and all these crazy <laughs> people, and Sergio Aragonis is making doodles... And well, that's the New York making jokes. <laughs> you know, that that image of what it would have been like in New York yeah. to someone that had never been there. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, that's what I was expecting, uh, the sort of, or hoping for. And the conversation was, it seemed like this was going to be an ongoing thing. It wasn't going to be just a couple issues, but like I was now going to be part of the... the well, well, to fill you in on the timeline, is, is so Morrison got unceremoniously removed in February of 2019. Then the news broke that they're going all reprint in July of 2019. So there was a four-month period where they hadn't announced that yet. So, yeah. <laughs> um, issue, my first issue was number nine. It was the first issue that doesn't have Bill Morrison as the editor, I yeah. believe. Yeah. 
Uh, I was in nine, ten, or eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Because ten was the first one that wasn't on newsstands. That's the Halloween one, right. which was an amazing issue. Yeah. I think you really see what Susan, the art director, that managing editor, kind of brought to the table. It has like a lot of really wild stuff in there, like yeah. Big, Big Daddy Roth type influenced art, you know. And um, some really amazing stuff that Tom Bunk fold out. I yeah. mean, I think it's one of the best issues. Um, yeah. And anyway, so she, I went to Burbank. She was great. So she totally embodies like what you would think a mad person would be like. Just you know, real character and really enthusiastic. Um, and this is in the, you know the DC office building. I didn't realize they're part of DC, but you go there. Have you ever been to? Burbank in there. No, everything I've done with Mad has been in New York, so... um. Well, you probably saw the real thing. I think I saw the recreation of it within... the DC offices. So yeah, it was well. It was in the DC offices then too. I didn't. I didn't go when uh, they were on Madison Avenue. You know, right. way back when. But you know, or Third Third Street or Lafayette. If you go way back. Yeah, but well, they were so at seventeen hundred Broadway in New York. So that's where they were. You know. So right on. So it's probably similar. Like you yeah. make your way past the Batman costumes and Wonder Woman's lasso and the yeah. receptionist, and you get to the Mad part where they've got the statue from up the academy right and uh you know all the paraphernalia and they've got it's just neat being there and uh the people that were on the team at the time really groovy people but you could smell the atmosphere of pressure of dc comics and i've god there's just so much bad that can be said about dc if you think about it from uh from killing captain Marvel the first time and uh, screwing over Alan Moore, you know, like it just seems like sort of a scary entity, but not as scary as Warner Brothers who bought them. Yeah, which is not as scary as AT and T who bought Warner Brothers. Right. So you don't want Warner Brothers owning your funny book, right? Right. But you've almost got to blame Bill uh, Gaines because he sold it to some mafia shingle factory or whatever yeah so it's a business to people um and i didn't want i wanted to do something that had no business elements whatsoever aside from scraping together the money to do it uh freaky just completely loses money yeah and i don't care like i'm just Oh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, you know, the last time Mad was truly independent, when it was truly EC, was 1961. So that's that's when you, you know sold it's great. It. Though it's still EC. I just did my taxes and yeah. my W two. Yeah, I saw that you posted that. Yes, yeah. so that's so cool. So it was just fun being part of that, and I really loved working with uh, Susie and uh, a few other folks I dealt with because they were really fun people and really creative, really passionate about it, and I think. I, I suspect she saved it because, okay, I was in those issues, my life was changed, <laughs> but then I wasn't getting any feedback on stuff I sent them after that. Hmm. Uh, so then you have to kind of deal with like, well, maybe that was your, your good time and now you're back in the wilderness. Yeah. And uh, so it was a real roller coaster where I'm on top of the world and I'm a has-been, like within the face of like... <laughs> You know, a, few, a month or so, and then here's the last. What happened was they sent that email to their artists, and everything that was in the news yeah. was just based on that one email. Nothing coming out of 
DC or right. from Mad Magazine. It was all just the artists publicizing the email that they received, which is the same one that I received. They basically said, "Hey, you know, we tried, but it's it's not it's not happening anymore, right?" Yeah. yeah. And it was interesting to see that in modern era, how just an email can become a news item and provoke all these, oh, the world's changing because Matt's not here and I haven't bought it since 1972. Yeah. What I'm talking about is the 1972 Mad, but oh, it's all replaced by, you know, a meme yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But that was just based on this email, and I suspect that Susie negotiated with the corporate overlords to let them at least keep it going with some new stuff, yeah. you know, to just keep it going. And then, so she became the editor. I haven't really talked to her too much since then. Yeah. But that's just what I guess happened. I just mean that as a tribute to her. I think so do you she submit anymore? the magazine. Do you, submit, do you submit anymore, or are you keeping it You know, I sent a couple things, um, and, I, you know, I got back some pleasant, you know, but I wasn't pushing them. You know, I... You, I would expect those few pages to go to Tom Richmond and to go to Johnny Sampson, who I think is great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And do that kind of mad stuff. Um, I I don't know whether I'll pursue it too much. It yeah. sort of seems healthier for me to just focus on doing my own thing. Yeah. Um, so I don't really li- love that energy, and that's why I had submitted before. Uh, and part of this was from being in music too. I don't love that energy of trying to get someone else to pay attention. You know right, what I mean? Right. Well, um, <laughs> and if, if that's, I understand that's part of it, but maybe it just doesn't fit my personality too well. Uh-oh. It's really interesting being on the other foot of that now because now I get submissions for Freaky, even though it's like a indie thing. There are so many artists with no place to put their stuff right. um, that I get tons of submissions, and so I know what it feels like to submit. So yeah. I've got to handle it in a way that's different than the way I feel like I've got to treat it the way I would want to be treated, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and in a way, I, I'm jealous of that too because I always wanted to start a humor magazine that you know people would submit things to me, but. It, well, you should, yeah. then, Mark. You should start <laughs> compete. No got, I'm going to compete with you. <laughs> it, but it wouldn't be competition. Yeah. And I don't feel like I'm competing with yeah. uh, American Bystander. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think there's room. Don't you think there's room? Well, there's room, but it, currently I don't have time, so that's really what it is. Well, it's I understand like, that. Yeah, sure. because I'm doing uh, books, I'm doing uh, these podcasts, and so I, I kind of went this direction instead. So it's like, um, and this works for me, because the great thing about the podcast is I have to do a little editing and stuff like that and upload it and pay attention to which episode is which and blah, blah, blah. But in general, once I'm done with it, I'm done with it. You know, Unless I need to transcribe it for something. Otherwise, you know, it's like, hey... You know, here it is. <laughs> Go for yeah, it. And I, yeah. it seems similar to what I'm doing in that it's a labor yeah. of love, right? You're yeah. Money yeah. Off this. The, the hardest and part is to get guests, but it's, that's gotten easier over the time because now they go, oh, you got Scott Shaw? Oh, well, I'll do it. You know, oh, you got Bill Morrison? Oh, well, I'll do it. You know, it's like, <laughs> and so, then people like yourself, I've done it before, so hey, I'll do it again. Sure, why not? You know, <laughs> so, why, would, why would you say you do do it? If you could articulate, why is it that you're, because you're putting a lot of time in there. Why do I do this, this podcast? Yeah. Uh, well, you have to thank my friend Lee Hester for that. He says, you should do a podcast.
podcast and I go, why? I don't have to. I said the thing I said just a second ago. I don't have time for this. Yeah. But, but you made time. I made I time, but also I'm doing more episodes now because, you know, because of the pandemic. Uh, is my charitable contribution to the world. I'm doing more episodes okay. through the summer because uh, everybody's at home. <laughs> so it's like. There, and so, I think there is that element, and yeah. I feel that with Freaky. I had this experience of being accepted by MAD and feeling like that validated my attempts at creating something. Yeah. And in my own little way, I'm able to do that for some other artists. I've had artists tell me that, like, wow, I didn't, you know, know that my stuff was any good. You like it. So, like, yeah. that's, you know, fantastic. And that's a good feeling, yeah. you know. Um, also, you got to do something, right? right? Even if you don't have a lot of time, I think a lot of us, you know, I don't have kids, and it's like, what am I going to do? Just like watch TV? Yeah, like, you, you have to do something. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I remember a few years ago. Um, I won't name names because this person, you know. Well, anyway, a former friend of mine. <laughs> uh, he did have kids, and this was about the time. Uh, about 10 years ago and uh, I went over to his house one day and they were watching YouTube it was like the new big thing YouTube you know this is when they only did short videos and these kids would just look up like the stupidest videos it was like when Simpsons would show like the football hitting the crotch or something and you know that type of thing and they were laughing and giggling and everything like that and I go you know if I was your age age 10 or so I'd be making videos and uploading to the why are you just sitting here watching them you know and for some reason they're not creative type people it was like I could have been talking to the wall they didn't get they, they didn't understand that they could actually create something, you know, and to me it's like, I don't know if you have this, but it's like, I I always have this strong desire always to be creating something, and it's like and it drives me nuts when I'm not, and so people think I'm a workaholic, and it's like no, I'm really just satisfying a need you know, it's like, I don't think it's work necessarily, it takes time yes, and you know, I will have to admit, I've used the word jealousy a few times tonight, I've ceased to really become too jealous of different people that I know and many I've interviewed on this podcast podcast because you know they've done their thing in their life and i've done my thing in my life and some people haven't done the things i've done so similar to how i haven't done some of the things they've done you know so everybody does their own little thing so yeah i could sit here and be jealous and it's like well if i really wanted to start a magazine i could just do it um and you may still yeah yeah. and you're gonna be in freaky Yeah. yeah um the and I think creating stuff is an inherently positive act. I mean, you are putting something to the world that wasn't there before. It's like yeah. giving birth, and I think that that those of us that have that urge to do it, you know, it's like the point of being alive to some extent. <laughs> it's like you're doing something that moves stuff along. You know, my mission with Freaky is to like keep shit weird yeah. you know I, the, the stuff I loved about Mad Magazine was like the surrealism of like Don Martin's heads and yeah. the visual puns that like Al Jaffe would do where it would just sort of bend reality right. and um, I find that really freeing because reality can be scary and bending it gives you all kind of um, 
options. Yeah. It, you know, the, the ability to warp the way you see the world and to hopefully warp the world a little bit in your image is what um, it's what we're here to do, a lot of us right. that create. Um, one thing you haven't touched on yet, and I don't know if you're planning to, but so you're talking about the first issue, and my assessment of it is kind of like yours. I liked it, but I didn't love, love, love it, but I figure it's a first issue. you got to get the stuff out there, and lots of stories and things like that. And I like the second issue a little bit better. Really like the third issue. So you're going in a direction that I actually like. Is that what yeah, you're intending too. to do? Is like, uh, you know... Well, if, you would hope with anything you get a little bit better at it, right? Yeah. I'm also attracting more and more mad artists that don't have any place for their stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Especially from the latter group. So I think there's three of us in number three. Um, so you find other people, and then it's a little bit of a balancing act where I still want to have a lot of the artists I had in the early issues make way for the new ones. I've gone to twice a year instead of just once a year, which mm -hmm. was my original intention. Um, someday I hope to publish even more. But, um, you know, I think going to newsprint was a big change aesthetically. That was sort of my fantasy, mm -hmm. was to have it on newsprint, so it seemed like a, you know, I had that feeling of an old-fashioned magazine and i found a place that does it hopefully they'll still be a business after <laughs> this whole pandemic thing yeah. but that changed the feel of it where the first issue was technically probably better quality but just didn't have that funky vibe because it yeah. was on very thick very white paper whereas now it's got the sort of like cheap yeah i don't like the white paper bit at least for yeah it. um one thing and, i'm um, oh. I, i'm you know i'm always going to try to make it a little bit better i'm also trying to involve more of the humor magazine elements that I really uh, enjoy, like the see-throughs. And right. um, I don't think I'll ever probably get too much into straight satire just because it's not really my thing, unless someone else is doing that brings it to me. My favorite part of the old humor magazines is the sort of page-long gags that are usually very visual yeah. and, and pretty weird, but also funny, you know? Yeah. For me, I mean, I don't mind a good movie and TV parody, but the ones I always liked the best are stuff like when Jaffe would do, like, uh, you know, creative uses for uh, Doggy Doo or something like that, or, yeah, you know, like the that. one that had, uh, you know, his inventions or whatever, how to beat, the, you know, to uh, uh, get thieves from breaking into your house oh. or whatever. And then the, 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 my favorite one of all is probably the children's toys uh, where the children write their letters to Santa and the, they have these kind of airplanes that are lopsided with the wings, uh, you know, and then oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. get a toy that looks exactly like yeah, 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 what the totally. drawing was. No, and it was, they took, they actually made those toys and photographed them. That's yeah. amazing. That, that was one of the things that really influenced me as a kid that blew my mind. Yeah. Um, hey, if you can think of what we'll do with all the masks after the pandemic, I would love to put that in freaky. I can't come up with anything, but just like or all the excess, you know, toilet paper or like just post-pandemic, yeah. what we'll do with the, you know, the accumulated food and the, <laughs> the hand sanitizer. Um, I think that would make for a good article. Well, so I, if you get any I, ideas, okay, I'll, I'll do a post-pandemic. Any of your podcast listeners, depending uh, on when this comes out. Post-pandemic, because I've been thinking of pandemic things, and I go, everybody's thought of these things, so it's like I'm not really, you know, I I, I, I am brainstorming. I actually have it on my to-do list of write 
Goldfarb yeah, some I mean, stuff it's what for we're freaky. Going through, so it's worth uh, documenting. So and, you get the American Bystanders uh, daily cart- pandemic cartoon. Yeah, and I think that's what's inspiring it because whenever I get their cartoons, then I start thinking of my own cartoons, and it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> Um, because some of their cartoons are, most of them are good, some are kind of, you know, and, you know, so then I kind of say, what would I do, you know, and so, you know, but I want to do one of those type of articles that I'm even talking about, one of those Jaffe type articles, you know, like, because I can do the one page gags, that's fine, I've done that, and you're using one, Uh, and I, you know, I can do longer stories, and, you know, but I want to kind of take a stab at doing the actual type of article that I like, because... You know, yeah, yeah, I used yeah. well, to I used to submit to stuff like and, that. You know, to, Freaky's non-exclusive, so it yeah. doesn't mean you can't send it somewhere else too. Yeah, but I but I used to send stuff like that to Matt, and I think the only reason I haven't sent it to you is because it's probably hideously dated, or I don't think it's funnier anymore. I can't find it. One of the three, you know. Right, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it is something like I don't know that I'm going to find too many artists that are doing that kind of work. People tend to be doing comic strips or gag cartoons. Yeah. So it sort of falls on me to generate that kind of content. Yeah. Uh, which I've done, you know, with the acronym monsters or is the earth flat, things like that, that have yeah. more of that humor yeah. magazine article kind of flair. Yeah. But yeah, I'm totally interested in seeing scripts or ideas. I, I do like it that you carried on the Ask the Slow Poisoner that you used to have over in Pork and things like that, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, some of that stuff, I, I'm still settling on the format, so it, it may come and go, but... Uh, I mean, that was one of the things that I think I really liked about Mad and Cracked and that you don't see as much anymore was that there's a sort of an editorial voice and sense of community, like with the letters page and like with the, like with Mad, you know what the Mad voice is. There's this kind of snarky, you know, wise-ass kind of self-deprecating humor. And um, with freaky i'm trying to get across a voice of kind of like sort of a downbeat anarchy kind of (laughs) punkier almost nihilistic kind of humor you know that's expressed through my mascot and the way he speaks but also through things that i'll write for it and i think that's what makes some of these things interesting and when it's not there like uh, we were talking about soft wood the heavy metal humor magazine yeah that had no editorial content whatsoever, right? Right. It was just a collection of stuff. Yeah. And it was good stuff, but you didn't come away feeling, in me anyway, that there was, like, really a, a vibe. Yeah. And I think that might be one of the reasons why we miss something like Mad, or, you know, it's still here, but in its, you know, in its prime, is there was that kind of conspiratorial flavor of, yeah. like, it was, you got it was, them, it was like got a club. You, this was for you, yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I know, one thing I thought of. I mean, uh, and this is after talking with you an hour here. Um, you were saying, well, why don't you like Viz as much as you like Mad? If you like the, you know, consistency. I think that I, you hit the nail on the head. I don't mind a few consistent things. Like if Freaky did this, and I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just saying if you had. And it's your magazine, so you do whatever you want. But, you know, it's like, if you had, like, the Freak of the Month on the cover, and then you had the Ask the Slow Poisoners column always, and then a couple other articles always, but then the rest of it was, like, it could go anywhere. 
So you have those yeah. few anchor strips. See, that's the thing that Mad used to do. Is like they had a few anchor strips, and then they could go anywhere with the other stuff. But the problem is, over time, and I hate to say, especially during the Fakara years, they got so reliant on just the standard stuff that it was like really boring and dull. And uh, yeah. and that's what yeah. I think is the problem with Viz. Viz can be very funny, but it has the same 26 strips every single issue in the same order, it seems like. And it's like, well, what are the fat slags going to do this time? Oh, right. they, they're going to say these type of jokes again in the same comic strip format again. I get it. And it's yeah, almost yeah, like yeah. a bad Archie comic. You know, Is Archie going to go with Betty or Veronica this time? Oh, well, look, it's going to be Veronica, huh? You know, it's like... Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true, and maybe that's where the National Lampoon and its prime was good yeah. too, because like they there had were their those funny pages. Or yeah. But then they really, you didn't know what was going to surprise you in the middle of it. And and their their consistency on Lampoon was just having a theming, like they'd have food as a theme or death as yeah, a theme. Yeah, and or, the comic strips at the yeah. back and yeah. the the letters page, but yeah. So. Um, so I like a few consistent things because then you, you have something to kind of look forward to. You know, it's like, oh, right. another freaky. Maybe there'll be a fold in. I'm not saying to do a fold in. You know, it's like, but you know, you know, it's going to be in there. You know, it's like, right. uh, and it doesn't have to be entirely original because I was going to say this earlier too. It's like somebody said, well, who created Shut Ups over at Cracked? And I had to do a little research because I knew they uh, predated Cracked. And uh, basically, those type of uh, jokes were around. There was kind of like these sick uh, jokes that were around in the 50s. Uh-huh. My dad even said that once. He says, eh, you know, and there's a record of shut-ups. It had nothing to do with Crack Magazine that came out about the same time as uh, Crack did. And oh, interesting. Were they called shut-ups? Or yeah. Or just that yeah. type of joke? I mean, uh, and, the, and the, the original one, which Crack used, like, the first one out, you know, it's like, I don't want to go to Europe. Shut up and swim. You know, it's like, that's, you know, it's very basic, but, you know. Right, right, um, right. But, you know, yeah. so nothing's really new under the sun, I guess is my point of saying yeah, all that. So, no, I mean, and that definitely is true. So, yeah. like, when I saw that the see-through had been done by Cracked, it's like, oh, well, I mean, you know, you're going to arrive. There's only so many things you can do with a piece of paper, right? Yeah. I think there's even a mad fold-in that was also a see-through that I haven't seen but I've heard about. Yeah. So, like, you're going to have some of that, and and that's fine. Um you know, a lot of the stuff, especially if it's things you can't get anymore to bring them back, is a good idea. Yeah, you don't and that's why I thought you were getting old issues of sick and stuff. You say, what do they have in here? Maybe I can I am, it, I, yeah. to some extent. Not necessarily <laughs> deliberately and, and too consciously, but I am looking to them for inspiration. I won't specific take, specifically take very uh, specific things, but, yeah. yeah, I want to see, you know, what uh, what what has gone before. Yeah. Then the magazine I like that you know you know Mark Todd that I've worked with and he was it or yeah. Crack for a number of years and he he did his version. And those of, are great issues of Crack. <laughs> that period there is amazing. I yes. love the Ugly Family. Yeah, and that's what I think. You know that could be a direction to go towards too. But you know it's totally up to you. But uh, uh, he did Monster Party as a spinoff magazine. Oh he, right, right, right. Yeah. And then he did Monsters Attack as just like a total yeah. straight thing that he, you know it was more like creepy. You know it's like right. And, you know, it's like, so there's so many directions you could take it, you know. So. Totally. <laughs> well, 
something to also think about, you know, with the frolic idea, it doesn't have to be an ongoing thing. It could be one issue. It could be every couple of years. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. you can also sort of slowly assemble it behind the scenes. Well, I, I don't have a problem not doing a second issue right away because Mike Kazala did two issues of Zorch, and I think they're uh, 20 years apart. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and I have both issues. <laughs> I didn't know there was a second issue when I saw him a couple years ago. He said, oh, yeah, I finally did a second issue. Here it is. <laughs> yeah, I am planning to be very religious, though, about putting <coughs> out Freaky at least twice a year yeah. and doing it, you know, for at least, like, 20 years. That's, like, the plan. Um, yeah. Because I think that's another thing that I liked about something like Mad was it was always kind of there if you needed yeah. that sort of entertainment. Yeah. And it was a bit of a comfort in that, you know, it was like... Well, like that's why everybody got upset if when they wanted, said they're going to not do it anymore, is everybody said, oh, you know, it's like, and it's like, it didn't matter if you hadn't bought it in 20 years, it's like, you know, it's not going to be there. Right. <laughs> so I'm sort of making a commitment yeah. that Freaky will be there in yeah. its smaller form, you know, smaller uh, r- ratio and smaller <laughs> audience and everything. Yeah. But uh, that it will be a consistent, you know, element right. to those uh, those people that want to subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com slash freaky magazine. This is the Slow Poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot Horror Planet It's a hot Horror Planet It's a hot Horror Planet Living in science fiction Past the point of no returning We got high on gasoline Now it's a hot horror planet 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 Flaming snakes slide through deserts of dust Charmies are victorious Endless bummer summer Living in your icebox What can we do? We used to be cool Now it's a hot Horror planet It's a hot Horror planet It's a hot How dare you do a free plug on my show? No, just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, uh, that might be a good spot to wrap it up. I'm, you know, every time right. I talk to you, Mark, I think, wow, how are we going to fill it? I know. I was thinking, well, I, I was thinking we were just going to do a low-key show, maybe talk about some of your songs. 
Um, I do like the new songs you gave me. You gave me like four new songs, and I may just intersperse them throughout the interview, just to have a little break and just go to a song. So I mean, sure, yeah, yeah. One of those, Hot Horror Planet, is uh, follows the same theme as the Global Warming comics. So when I okay. get to that point in the story, okay. you can throw it in. And so I will mention here, since we're on the subject, and then I can place these anywhere in the song. So somewhere during the course of the show, you probably heard these four songs. Hot Horror Planet, Grimy, Crap Mountain, and Railroad Werewolf Graveyard. Um, I'll have to say, Abby and I listened to them. We liked Hot Horror Planet the best, Crap Mountain second, and weren't as crazy about the other two, but they weren't too bad. All right. <laughs> so, so. Cool. So there's our rating assessments. In fact, I, you know, I'd like to, I may replace the uh, Witches song with one of these others as the new theme song as we go into a third season. So. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's a hot horror planet. Might be too uh, apropos for the coming years. Woo. But we'll see. Right now, uh, anything could happen. All right. And any last things to plug since you're doing Freaky? Anything else? I know you're not probably doing shows right now, so... <laughs> No, I had actually stopped doing shows. I was getting burnt out and just sort of felt like it was time to, uh, you know, take a break. So that was good timing on my part, <laughs> since it can't happen right now. Did you anyway. do many after my birthday show? That was last December. <laughs> uh, that was the last one. Wow. I saw yeah. his last show. Yay. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's a hiatus. I'm not sure when I'll get back or even if I'll get back. But yeah. right now I'm just focusing on Freaky. And that's really the only thing to plug. Um, I've also got an online presence. I didn't do a, a website specifically for it, but if you go to theslowpoisoner.com, there's a Freaky section there where I've got some excerpts and stuff. And um, I am happy to send out a free hard copy to folks that uh, contact me and give me their mailing address as a, a bait to get folks to subscribe. And if you like humor magazines or if you like weird monsters or if you just like the sporting creative people, it's all for you. Go for it. <laughs> Do it. Right on. Thanks. <laughs> thank you for listening and thank you, Andrew Goldfarb, for being my special guest and for your new songs. Episode number 78 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Headed home to a cardboard hut with duct tape doors at the price I'm paying. Don't fall back Don't fall back